Our first scripture reading is from the book of Psalms, Psalm 139. Perhaps not a more profound journey through human emotion and experience expressed in these words and these writings. May the Holy Spirit bless us in hearing and understanding this word. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle on the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the night around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me, when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. I try to count them, and they are more than the sand. I come to the end. I am still with you. Oh, that you would kill the wicked, O God, and that the bloodthirsty would depart from me, those who speak of you maliciously and lift themselves up against you for evil. Do I not hate those with hate, who hate you, O Lord? And do not... I loathe those who rise up against you. I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them as mine enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, friends, it is a joy to be with you this morning. I bring greetings from Princeton Theological Seminary. Pinnacle Presbyterian Church has been such an important and valued partner to the seminary. This community has been a place of education and spiritual nurture for our students and faculty, including just a few weeks ago when our choir was here for a January intensive course. 
Uh, through the years, the friendship of this congregation has been so important to Princeton Seminary uh, and to me personally. Every time I am here, I know that I am among friends, and I feel as though I have come home. So it is great to be with you today. Our second scripture reading this morning is from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. Hear now the word of God. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same purpose. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel, and not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, saints of the church, in these weeks of Lent, you have been talking about the very pressing forces of our society. Acceleration, accumulation, amplification, and today, argumentation. As the pace of life becomes faster and faster, the pressures grow to acquire more and more, the de decibels of discourse in our ears get louder and louder, and we can no longer hear each other because public and private conversation is so often governed by strident argument, presuming the other side is wrong, even irredeemably so. It seems as though our society is fraying at the seams from the forces of argumentation. We are a people increasingly divided amongst ourselves. A recent Pew Research poll tracked rising rates of political polarization in the last several years with a disturbing trend. 
The report noted that increasingly, Republicans and Democrats view not just the opposing party, but the people in that party in a negative light. Growing shares in each party now describe those in the other party as more close-minded, dishonest, immoral, and unintelligent than other Americans. And this is true across the political spectrum. In 2016, 47% of Republicans and 35% of Democrats said that those in the other party were more immoral than other Americans. And Pew's latest research shows that today, a majority of Republicans regard Democrats as more immoral, and a majority of Democrats say the same thing about Republicans. So at least we agree on that. <laughs> the acceleration of argumentation breeds distrust, suspicion, even hatred. It leads to the hardening of hearts and the calcifying of the lines that divide us. And yet, there is nothing new under the sun. Argumentation is an age-old problem. At least it was well known to the Apostle Paul and the Christian community in Corinth. The beginning of his letter to the Corinthians, Paul confesses that he has received a report card about their behavior, and it isn't good. He says, it has been reported to me that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. The argumentation is leading them to define whose side they are on. Some say, I belong to Paul, and I belong to Apollos. I belong to Cephas. Paul notes that this tendency comes from the culture around them. So he asks, where is the one who is wise? Where is the debater of the age? Corinth was a city and a culture that was filled with many competing sources of wisdom and teachers from various philosophical traditions. People were crossing paths from all over the Roman Empire, and wisdom and its cultured speech earned status in Paul's time. Sages who were skilled in rhetoric claimed status for themselves and sometimes exploited others for their own gain. Persuasive speech, argumentation, was a profession, a lucrative business. And the Corinthians may have picked up their playbook and brought it to church. But Paul suggests that these peddlers of argument may not have the right wisdom. He says, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. In other words, the gospel is a very strange kind of wisdom by human standards. It is not an argument to be bought, sold, or measured by rationality. In the divine calculation, it is an upside-down equation. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, God's weakness stronger than human strength. Paul is reminding the Corinthians that they are living by a different metric of wisdom than the world around them. 
But what, in our, what about in our day? What about for you and me? Where are the wise? Where is the debater of this age? They're everywhere, right? They're in your phone. We carry them in our pockets and purses. And when you're in the car or waiting in line or waking up in the morning, you pull them out and there they are, the debaters of this age, posting on Facebook and Twitter, sharing their opinions, their commentary, their wisdom. They're on TV, every channel, NBC, CBS, MSNBC, Fox. And you can listen to these debaters of the age 24 hours a day. And these debaters and personalities have a status in our culture too, not unlike the philosophers in Corinth. But what kind of wisdom do they offer? The debaters of our age often operate by the logic of argumentation, asking you to pick a side. We have to measure the opinions and the commentary that is thrown at us all day, every day, to assess its value. So what kind of measure should we use? What is God's measure of wisdom? It's the opposite of what the world would tell us. It is not determined by power or strength or wealth or IQ, but by the mixed-up gospel logic of Christ crucified, of love poured out for the weak and the suffering, for you and for me. The Bible offers us a countercultural wisdom, an invitation in our age of fast-paced and fractious discourse to operate by a different logic. The logic and the language of faith is not rational, not based in argument. It invites us into a different way of knowing, based in the conviction that God first knows us. Psalm 139 proclaims it boldly. O Lord, you have searched me and known me, for it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. It's a stirring proclamation of a divine miracle that the God of all the earth, who creates on a cosmic scale, also knows you and me to the depths of our being and created us and formed us from the beginning with loving care and holy purpose. O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. Even before a word is on my tongue, O oh Lord, you know it completely. Now what kind of good news is this? You might find it both comforting and maybe even disturbing. I don't know about you, but I'm not sure God would bless all the thoughts of my heart. And I don't think God would bless all of the thoughts of the psalmist's heart either. This beautiful psalm takes a strange turn at the end, with some surprising, even disturbing language. Oh, that you would kill the wicked, O oh God, and that the bloodthirsty would depart from me. 
Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? I hate them with perfect hatred. When Psalm 139 occurs in the regular lectionary, these verses are conveniently taken out. I can bet there is no better way for a guest preacher never to be invited back again than to mention these unmentionable verses from the pulpit. You know, this is such a lovely psalm. I hate that it is blemished this way. This is one of my favorite psalms, and so I would like to cut away the verses I don't like, taking my scissors for this biblical craft project and snipping away the bad parts, letting them fall gently to the ground where they can't hurt anyone. But that's the thing about the Bible. You can't have this part without that part. There is no Swiss cheese of the Psalms pockmarked around the parts we don't like. And yet there is something profound about this witness to the life of faith, especially in an age of argumentation. It is a confession that God knows the twisted, complicated, broken rumblings of the human heart, the arguments among us and the arguments within us. The psalm does not actually commend this language, but instead lifts it up to God with a bold prayer to test the heart and see if there is indeed any wicked way within it. And that is the miraculous confession of our faith, that God knows the thoughts of our hearts and minds, not only the beautiful, faithful words that we profess, the hymns that we sing in this beautiful place, but also the other thoughts, the bitterness and resentments we harbor, the curses muttered under the breath, the raised eyebrow of the self-righteous. The great act of faith for you and for me is to pray with the psalmist. O God, search me and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts, the good, the bad, the love, the hatred. See if there is any wicked way in me, for I know that there is. And lead me in the way everlasting. The psalmist shares his thoughts so freely that it makes me glad he didn't have access to a Twitter account. (laughs) I recently read an article entitled, For Sanity's Sake, Delete Your Account. The author explained why he deleted his Twitter account. The reason, he said, is because I am not God. Twitter and other social media makes it possible to know the innermost thoughts of others, their opinions, the things they love, the things they hate. It is one of the most viral vehicles of argumentation for the debaters of this age. He says, Twitter gives one an awareness, or at least the impression of an awareness, of what hundreds, even thousands of people are thinking at the moment. He said, after an hour or so of watching humanity's stupidity scroll across my screen, I felt I had peeked into some dreadful abyss into which only God can safely look. It was not for me to know the thoughts of humans. 
Some days spending a little time on social media is enough to make me think we'd be better off not knowing the innermost thoughts of one another. Perhaps that really is best left to God. The irony of the digital age is that technology has the promise of connecting us more deeply, and yet it often results in driving us further apart. It makes more readily available to us the thoughts of our neighbors, but we don't always like what we hear. In fact, sometimes we hate it with perfect hatred. The unfiltered thoughts and arguments that are unleashed on Twitter and Facebook and other channels drive wedges between us. And burdened with a godlike knowledge of the thoughts of our fellow humans, we often respond in ungodlike ways, not with the love and the mercy of the one who so lovingly created us, but with hatred and suspicion. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. There was a movie that came out in the 90s called What Women Want. The main character is an ad executive named Nick Marshall, played by Mel Gibson. And he acquires the ability to hear the internal thoughts of all of the women in his life. Now, I'm not going to offer a feminist reading of this rather disturbing plotline. But suffice it to say that while this character at first exploits his knowledge, eventually he comes to find he is burdened by it. Although he is not a wholesome character, he develops a moral sensitivity to the people he had overlooked before those whose beautiful and poised outward appearance concealed insecurities and uncertainties. And in his case, hearing the thoughts of his neighbors educates his compassion. It compels him with a sense of urgency to say to others, I see you. You matter. And that is a little more like the ways of God to whom nothing is hidden and from whom no thought can separate us. And that is an urgent word for our world. In an age where rates of loneliness and anxiety and divisiveness are rising, propelled by the forces of the digital age, Psalm 139, with all of its beauty and complexity, might educate our own compassion teaching us to see one another and ourselves as God sees us, not as interlocutors in arguments, debaters of the age, but instead as God's beloved children, formed by God's own hand and claimed by God's abiding presence. And so let us pray with the psalmist in the sure and certain hope that nothing can separate us from the love of God, for God will not let us go. O oh God, search me and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Friends, hear and believe the good news because it is good news. God knows the argumentative nature of humans and loves us anyway 
and calls us to love one another in the ways that Christ loved us. And so I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and for the same purpose. Because you are loved by the God who created you, redeems you, and sustains you all the days of your life. Thanks be to God. Amen.